Hi everyone, Josh from the future here. Uh, I want to first apologize for the quality of my audio on uh, this recording. Unfortunately, I had to move rooms. There was construction happening all around my house. And uh, unfortunately, the acoustics in that room were just really, really bad. So please forgive me that. Also, please forgive me the schedule that's been happening. Um, I've been working from home. My uh, hours at work and consequently pay were also reduced. So that has meant a lot less time uh, in the office where I can actually do audio stuff during lunch and actually get things done on time, which is kind of frustrating. But uh, look, just wanted to let you all know and apologize and say thank you for sticking with us. Um, really good of you. Uh, but anyways, on with what we're going to do. Cheers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Better Homes and Dungeons. And please allow me to apologize now for any construction noises in the background. Um, this is just my life at the moment, under construction. Um, with me today, I am, I'm still bad at introducing people, so I will allow them to introduce themselves. Um, gentlemen, who are you and, and where are you from? What do you do? Well, my name is Matt Keel. I am from the United States, and I am a high school biology teacher, but more importantly... I am a co-host of the Detentions and Dragons podcast, which is a podcast geared towards helping educators bring Dungeons and Dragons into the classroom. And I'm also joined by my co-host, Josh Reistead. Josh, would you like to introduce yourself? I think you've already done that for me, Matt, but I appreciate it. Yes, hi, I am Josh Reistead, the other half of Detentions and Dragons, also uh, in the United States, as well as a, a teacher as well. That's mm -hmm. So, and, gentlemen, oh, sorry, Josh. And I was just going to say that if you hear those construction noises, not only are they literal construction noises, but they're also metaphors. Because as teachers, we are helping to construct the world. So don't be minded by any of those noises that you hear. You, you it is educators. Team. Thank you. You're welcome. But what I should have said also at some point was I was a teacher for a while. So. Oh. Yeah. What, what made you hang up? What made uh, you hang up your talk? English is a second language, and unfortunately, oh, cool. my wife and I want to buy a property, so it meant going and doing something that made a bit more money than what I was making as an ESL teacher. So, well, well, Josh and I both live in a pile of of branches and twigs, so we understand why you might have left the profession. Given yes, actually, I've sub, I've said I, that my I've sublet. Mm -hmm. I've sublet out the uh, the Bramble Pack shout back, Matt. So you know, like we've got a renter now. Oh, that's fantastic news! I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So, um, but oh, sorry. Yes. No, I was just going to say, but I don't think that we're here to talk about our living arrangements. But I think we're here to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, right? I just well, yeah, Dungeons, Dragons, all kinds of role play games. Fantastic. Um, Given that we're all, like, closed in with um, the people that we live with at the moment, um, it's kind of been my drive to record as many of these kind of podcast episodes that are centered around, okay, how can we use this to engage with our children, try and use it for a little bit of home learning, try and keep ourselves sane. Mm -hmm. Because I think we all need a lot more of that right now. Mm -hmm. An escape. Yes. And the escapism. Um, now, I am currently running two tables that have got children at them. One is a bunch of nine-year-olds. Um, 
one of them is my nine-year-old, and the other table I've got, I've got a, a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old, um, and someone my age as well. It's, it's a buddy of mine sure. and his mm-hmm. daughter and me and my nine-year-old. So. Um, now, I guess the, the first person, first thing I guess I want to ask is, what would be your like, top tips for getting kids engaged at the table? Sure. I definitely think that when you are going to approach Dungeons and Dragons or any type of uh, tabletop RPG, that type of thing like that, uh, you really definitely have to identify what is important to your audience. So I would say mm-hmm. that step number one or tip number one would be find out what your audience likes. So Josh, for example, you taught a lot of fifth graders and you also run a club for uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers and that type of thing like that did you ever notice a difference between the styles of gameplay or the things that they liked at the table uh definitely matt i mean between the the various age ranges that i happen to have there was a definite you know, style preference. Um, the younger the student, you know, generally it was more, you know, creative wise of, and, you know, I guess relatable to pop culture things that they happened to like at the time. Uh, all the kids were like obsessed with catching any little creature, any possible creature mm-hmm. they can, and then using it to battle as in like Pokemon. Whereas the high schoolers were more like, Hey, I'm going to throw, a crazy, you know, disco party for this count to do this thing, or I'm going to, you know, go and, and go on an epic adventure. So, yeah, I would have fully agree, Matt. The knowing what your players want and then shaping the game to pull their interest is very important. I would say one of the top tips. Yeah, and I think that that is a tip that applies to both adults and kids at the table it's just that sometimes it's harder to remember what it's like to be a kid and what a kid would find fun versus what an adult would find fun that type of thing like that i know for me i'm usually all about role play i love that aspect of it i like the drama of it but one of the last campaigns that i ran at school or one of the last sessions there was 50 minutes where they were trying different potions and random effects were happening in different ways because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted like wacky adventures in a potion factory. So that's what we did. So I think our first tip would be really know what your audience is. And if it takes a session or two to identify that, don't let that discourage you. Just use that Mm -hmm. as an opportunity to build your campaign and really refine that narrative over those next few sessions. That is very cool. I mean, are there ways that you work to try and find out what's important to people other than just bluntly asking, hey, what do you like? Sure. Josh, do you have anything that you do with the kids at school? Well, when I used to run it in the classroom, I actually kind of handed out through a series of very brief worksheets, kind of surveys, like online surveys uh, with different questions that kind of led me to that task. Uh, you know, like, which would you prefer? Would you prefer to go on a grand journey or would you prefer to t- sit and talk to a king about a problem that they happen to have? Uh, you know, what is your character's drive? Is it gold and glory or is it, you know, to own a wacky pie factory? Um, 
and by looking at stuff like that, I was able to kind of really look at the whole class as a, you know, and I, again, I used to run one for a class as well as a club. Um, but I think it both it pl- applies to both by just kind of being blunt and saying, what do you want out of this? I think you're able to shape, you know, the campaign pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I know that when I was running my club this year, I started off the first session, which just had a large variety of different things in it. So there was role play, there was battle, it, there was exploration. So it was sort of the three tenets of Dungeons and Dragons that was in that first session. And then using the D&D Essentials kit, they have a cool scenario where basically there's a bounty board or a mission board, and then they get to choose different missions, and the different missions sort of had different themes to them. So over those, basically by session two, I started getting an idea of what they liked. And I think, you know, just keep your campaigns varied. Don't keep it all battle-focused. Don't keep it all role-playing focused. Add a lot of things in there, and you'll see kind of when your students or your your children kind of perk up and get really excited and then you can kind of tell when they're bored i don't do a Mm -hmm. lot of puzzles or riddles in my school club because they're bad at them so it's like okay battle and traps that all they have to do is like run through them and maybe take some damage but that's kind of how i learned what they do when they approach dungeons and dragons and that's totally fine so yeah there's really not a magic answer to how do I find out exactly what they want right away it is a little bit of trial and error but you could really try to refine that pretty quickly and I guess the the big overall picture is as a DM you know just to be open to it like I know there's a lot of DMs that are like this is the book I have to run it by the book sure you know Mm -hmm. this is this is everything it has to be concrete and you know, being flexible and changing things up and, uh, you know, to kind of fit the player's desires of a game, I guess, is the big, important, overarching idea. Yeah, you got to change that thing on the fly. You might have spent hours creating this rich narrative, but if you threw a penguin in there, you know they're going to chase that penguin, and you better come up with five sessions worth of the penguin adventure because they're going to want to know what happened to that penguin. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that that does give them access to the happy feet. I mean, it totally I mean, does. I mean, gives them ha- no the magical the magical item of dancing bliss. I mean, right there. I mean, and what campaign does not need some sort of performance dance check? I think that's very important for games. I put one in every campaign. I have put them actually into games. That's not a joke. <laughs> I think that's a cool idea. And I think that is, I mean, the idea of saying to the dungeon master, hey, you need to communicate, you need to be flexible. I don't think those are new principles. Um, I mean, if you if you want to look at the evolution of D&D, it's like, hey, people, you know, we, we look at Thacko as a joke now. But for some of us, mm-hmm. we had to actually like look at that table and figure out every dice roll. And it did slow Definitely. things down. And then when you realize, my God, this is so much of a better system, I wonder why they changed. Because they thought mm-hmm. something was better. And I think that's could be like that could be a hard thing when you are an experienced game player, remembering what it's like to not understand how games work. It's sort of this mm-hmm. curse of knowledge theory. 
So for you, you might see Thacko and laugh and think about those times when, oh, you had to look at the table and you had to roll to hit Arbor Class Zero. I still don't understand what Thacko is, and I've had three people explain it to me, and it just does not make any sense. It, and it's always, oh, yeah, you roll to hit the... You roll to hit the armor class and subtract and roll up. And I'm like, why did it get designed like that? But really remember that when you play D&D with adults or tabletop RPGs with adults, there's a good chance that they understand game mechanics and things like that. Or they've like at least experienced even other sources of uh, entertainment like video games where at least there's some sort of reference point where a lot yeah, of kids... There's almost like a shared language. Exactly, exactly. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not so, you know, unusual to be like, okay, this is a fighter class, this is a tank, this is a spellcaster, this is a glass cannon. Like, those things are in the language of people who play those types of games. But for a nine-year-old, what does that mean? So it's really well, and- just being extra um, thoughtful and conscientious about making this space really open to new players. Well, and on top of that, you know, also the lore aspect, because D&D is very heavy lore based. And mm-hmm. I remember running uh, out of the abyss for a group of adults who've all read like every D&D book, R.A. Salvatore, Backward Forward. They know what the drow are. They know all about the Underdark and things like that. And then I ran it for kids in kind of the sim- you know a similar manner. And I had kids who were just like, wait, what? What's going on? Well, you should you should know about this. No, I've I've no idea what's going on. It's like, oh, okay, backfill. We gotta we gotta you know change the narrative up here. I mean, that's just something also to be very conscious about. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Well, okay. So I was running like a the lost mind. I'm running two lost mind games at the moment. Yeah, one totally. is for the nine year olds. One's for some people I know from church. And for like almost all of these people, this is like their first or second game of D&D. Sure. Mm-hmm. And last session with the, with the nine-year-olds, out of the three of them, two of them wanted to go one way in the Cragmore hideout, and my son wanted to go another way. Yep. And he got really upset because he hadn't realized you can go that way. But the party's going this way. I know. You can still go that way. And it was this moment of like light bulb, like I'm absolutely free to do what I want. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was this moment. I mean, that, that's what I mean. For him, that was a moment that was preceded by being upset mm-hmm. because he thought I'm missing out on what on, I'm having my agency taken away from me by the yep. group, mm-hmm. and it took me coming to him and saying, "Hey, no, you're fine." With those kind of events, how do y'all manage them? Because for me, it was a case of, Josh, take a breath, go over and have a talk. Just mm-hmm. separate it for two minutes. Have a chat. What, what, what are your, for you two, what are your experiences? Now, for me at my club, one of the things that I really try to establish a little bit earlier on, especially when you're working with larger groups of kids or maybe just like people who have just a little bit more difficulty, you know, like group making group decisions, that type of thing. For me, it's literally a voting system. So in that mm-hmm. scenario right there, I would have I would have said, okay, you have two options. Number one, 
who wants to go left, raise your hand. Number two, who wants to go right, and then you'd see who's going left, who's going, you know, who's, you know, what the vote looks like. And I would say, all right, well, in this instance, your group has decided that you are going to uh, take the left fork in the road. And then if it got to a point where it seemed like kids were, for example, always teaming up against a different student, per se, and they were just trying to be mean and like, well, we don't want this person to have their way, then after like that session's over, then I might have to have a discussion with this group, with those students about, you know, fair play and making sure everybody's voices are heard. Sometimes if I know kids are being jerks, I will just be like, oh, that, that path got blocked off. And then I'll give the, <laughs> that other person a little bit, like honor their agency a little bit more in that scenario, just to show like, oh yeah, this person, like they have good ideas too, and they can really contribute to that narrative. So mm. if you get into a pinch, for like for my group because at school I have an hour to run a campaign or to run a session. So for me a voting like a voting system works really well for younger kids. Mhm. I would agree. I've used similar methods. So and 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 you know again running a a home game, you know, you can't you can split the party where Matt and I run into a bit of a pinch is you know, we have large groups of kids. You've only you've got a very limited amount of time, not only during that class session, but also like the amount of times we meet throughout the school year. It's like you have to complete an entire campaign within so many months meeting one day a week. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, we, you know, there's there's a little bit of railroading that goes on. Kind of like, you know, you could you could do this or you could do this. And sometimes you're going to do this. Um but yo, know, I agree with what Matt said. Like, use similar methods. Yeah, and it's one thing that I've noticed as well with kids. Like, with adults that have played a lot. Yeah, I mean, with with kids, they they're prepared to do that. Like, I had a combat encounter last night with um, you know, this is another table with my nine year old, the twelve year old, and my buddy, and they had to rescue someone. And his way, and his my boy's way of do, deal, dealing with it was to run in, grab the young girl, and, like, teleport out. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're splitting the party. You're depriving them of your combat abilities. You don't need to do that. But at the same time, it's like, no, I, I want to give your agency the respect it deserves. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like those little steps of progress when they realize, oh, my God, I can do I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really is hard that, for a lot of kids. And a lot of my students, they actually kind of really start off being more timid than being more aggressive or more, yeah, like really trying to just try unique and crazy things. So for me at my club, usually what I'm doing is there will be opportunities where, oh, there is a super complicated lock and only the rogue is going to be like able to open it. So what I'll have to do is I'll kind of set these scenarios up and sort of force the rogue, force the wizard to have that moment where it looks like they're having a lot of agency in it, but I've kind of already pre-planned it. But what it does is it gives them this moment of confidence. Now on the flip side, this whole teleporting in and using your powers thing, that's super awesome. And I think Mm -hmm. that in like some scenarios, I would totally allow that. And I think it should be like, just because 
a problem is not solved in a way that I would imagine it does not necessarily mean it is the wrong way to do it. However, if this sort of became the habitual like factor and the only way they ever solved problems was on their own, then I might set them up to be into a, like get into a position where, Oh, you can't solve every problem on your own. And that might be encountering like getting ambushed by a large group of goblins or getting to a puzzle that has to be solved by two people. Uh, I know that I had Mm -hmm. a trap or a puzzle in my spring, one of my spring sessions where literally one person had to stand on one pressure plate and another person had to stand on the other pressure plate because it was a two-person puzzle. So it forced one person who was not like a team player to be a team player. And I think sometimes you have to do that with kids. And sometimes you have to do that with adults too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I, I think one one of the things that both Matt and I try to do, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, Sure. with D is teach this this idea of balance yeah. like mm-hmm. you know party balance not not only just party balance but also you need people you you can't do everything on your own you're, you're going to have a certain set of skills they're going to have a certain set of skills if you combine those skills together you're going to be successful in whatever you do no matter what what happens whatever the world throws at you even if the world is like in the shadow plane and you're being chased by a terrible vampire through through a frankenstein castle you know it it it, it's all fantasy but the the message and the lesson is still there you know understanding balance understanding teamwork uh you know getting that overall picture definitely i think that when you can teach your players that when everybody has a like a chance to shine within the campaign, it just makes the narrative better for everybody. So mm-hmm. doing more to show that everybody can contribute is so awesome. I, I agree. And I, I think that's also like, I guess a way of like keeping kids from like getting all like with each other or with oh, yeah. a member of the group is like, well, you know, that's your wizard that you're making fun of. You're going to need them in a second. In fact, oh my God, you find yourself in a magical library. Someone needs to find a specific book. Yeah. Who knows about this? Who is it? Yeah, and when they can do that cool thing, then it sort of communicates to all the other players like, oh yeah, they can do a really cool thing and sometimes they get impressed by what they do and mm-hmm. it just makes everything better and adds camaraderie to the whole session and that grows and it's kind of a beautiful thing. That's very beautiful. I mean, as, as far as coaching kids, how much do you two give? Like, for example, what, one of my one of my personal guiding rules to running a game is if I see that you're up to eight, I'll stay at eight until you guys find nine. And when you find nine, I'll, I'll slowly edge up to ten. But when you find eleven, trust me, my friend, I can find twelve. It's, it's that escalation. Like, how do you guys balance coaching versus escalation of like intensity or difficult or, or difficulty, I guess? So are you talking with like battles or role playing or just like exploration, that type of thing? Like, do you have like a specific yes. example? Okay. okay. Um, for example, anyways, the, the example I'd come up with is in the Cragmore hideout, my group of nine-year-olds kept distracting Ripper by throwing it meat and rolling excellent animal handling rolls. Mm-hmm. And that is because they wanted the dog. And I sure. respect mm-hmm. that, you know? Yes. 
and, and it's a it's a useful way of telling them, okay, how about not combat? But it was so, it was so really really well done on there, and I wanted it to succeed. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so okay, guys, like I'll I will work with this. I will give you something you can work to, which is having a pet dog in this game, which I will play, and that'll be that, and that'll mm-hmm. be that, and that'll be fun. Um, but it's I guess teaching them okay. So far up to now, most of your encounters you've finished by squashing goblins or enemies or whatever. What if not violence? And y'all came through that really, really well. What lessons can you take from that encounter? And, and how do you teach those lessons? And without like making it obvious, I'm teaching you a lesson. Sure. Josh, what is your opinion? I have an opinion as well, too. I, I I guess it's it's the the adage of you know not an adage um, basically to always be present of mind of when you can teach a lesson it, it's kind of like you know running a class through uh, I would say I'll just pull something out of my English class uh, we were teaching about research and and how to look at actual research what is good what is bad what is a Mm -hmm. what is a good article what is not uh and so that kind of led into well the you know news media and things like that and what about all these people on social media and all that stuff and and all of a sudden i had a whole bunch of kids like well but so and so said this well okay well let's take the lesson that we learned and uh apply it to this you know instance and they were like oh and i i guess it's it's that kind of i get i use personally that kind of teaching tool of always being observing what my students are, are talking about and 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 can we insert a lesson in here as far as with D goes i think i think it applies in the same manner if i want them to try to take away something like maybe okay let's not try to just roll over this this you know i would probably you know let's say it was like a count and i want them to have kind of a diplomatic instance i would make the count like either really tough, really impressive. There's a lot of guards in the courtroom kind of a thing. And where they walk in, it's like, okay, this is something I can't just steamroll over here. You know, this, this is, we got to try a different tactic. And, you know, is it a little bit of railroading? Yeah, maybe. But again, you know, you, you, you kind of have to play it off the cuff sometimes. That's so, pretty fair. Well, Matt? my my opinion is let them fail because you don't learn <laughs> unless you fail, and I would say low stakes fail. So if they're trying mm-hmm. to tame the dog, then maybe they tame the dog, but maybe they fail and the dog runs away, that type of thing like that. They need to have failure in order to learn that there are limitations to the game that they're playing. Because with, for example, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, it's fantasy and it's role-playing, but it's not just make-believe. There is a rule set, and that's what Mm -hmm. makes the game fun, is having the rules. So knowing that you can try to perform a persuasion check to, you know, get a discount on a potion, that type of thing like that. Yes, you can do that. 
you're not always going to succeed at that. So I usually like to throw a lot of low stakes failure type options in there so they do learn that yes you're not invincible you will take damage and you know you might be knocked out and you might have to be revived by a cleric or you might have to you know someone might have to use a, a health potion that was comp like conveniently in the satchel that they're carrying or something like that but yeah low stakes failure at the beginning of the campaign does wonders because otherwise it's Six months later, they feel like they're invincible, they bully everybody around, and then it's a lot harder to teach them, no, you have limitations within the game. Mm -hmm. I actually have a pretty good example of this. When I was running my D&D uh, &D in the classroom campaign, Havoc Quest, I had one kid who was uh, playing a rogue, and he his thing was like, I'm going to just go up and I'm going to you know, murder a shopkeeper and I'm going to take his sure. stuff mm -hmm. like that. He constantly tried to do it. And I was like, okay, well we're, we're let's play this out. Go ahead. And so he went up to a, like a weapons stall and he's like, he's like pretending to look at assorted things and the shopkeeper turns around. And he's like, and then I stab him in his back and I'm like, mm. okay. And you plunge and all the class was like, Oh, they're looking at me like, what, you, what, what's going on? You, you said that you can't do this. And uh, then I had the shopkeeper turn around and go, oh, I see you've uh, you found our uh, prop swords, our uh, the oh. theatrical swords. See, uh, the blade goes in. How much? It's 200 gold. Uh, are you happy to purchase? He's like, uh, I dropped the sword. And I run away. You know, and, and, and that was that was it. That was That's done. Cool. He's like, OK, here's given, the limit. I was going to say, given the country you, you two lads are in. um it's almost like you're trying to rob a gun store with a gun that is on display when that person mm -hmm. is probably also apt to have to be gun. a little more skilled at it. Yeah, there are, I feel, a lot of YouTube videos of security camera footage of somebody trying to run, like, rob a gun store. And then the owner just pulls a gun out on them because yeah. it turns out that people who run gun stores like guns, they usually carry guns on them. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. So, but again, <laughs> the, this is the, as Matt says, failure is a great teacher, you know, and mm -hmm. especially if it's low stakes where you could turn it into a lesson. Mm -hmm. I did have totally. another teacher on here who told me, Josh, kill them. Um, <laughs> and like, oh, dude, my. my friend, and I shouldn't call you dude because you're a lady, but my friend, I don't want to have to deal with that. It but that no, it I mean, risks it. I mean, kids get attached to their character. I still have I have freshmen from my very first like D and D class that come and talk about what their character has done. And oh man, do you remember when we did this in class, Mister Eisted? And da 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 da. And they remember it. They, they get attached to their characters. So I I I'm very hesitant to. I've done. I've killed one student's character and then he he was revived as a pinnacle hero in the ending campaign sure mm -hmm. uh it was nice. like yeah I, I pulled him over at the like he's like he's like oh my character died i'm like yeah come here here's what's gonna happen 
at the end of the campaign, you're going to come back with like wings of fire and a giant flaming sword. Okay, that's really cool. And it, it, yeah, mm. it was a great moment. But I would be very hesitant to kill it, especially a student or a younger player's character off like completely. I mean, that would that's a way to get a, a non-player. Well, Ed, can you imagine if you are playing your first game of D&D, your first campaign, maybe you've played like five or six sessions, and then your teacher, who you trust, just destroys all of the characters at the table and says, all right, roll for new characters because you guys played wrong. When you're playing with kids, you don't want to lower the stakes, but you have to keep in mind that these are brand new players. And if you want them to like learn and grow, you kind of have to scaffold the level of gameplay to the level of player that they are. I mean, to put, for example, I don't know, a video game reference. I hate Fortnite because I played Fortnite for an hour and I got destroyed every 20 seconds. Like I'd be like, all right, parachuting from an airplane land on the ground now i'm gone guess i'm back in a lobby so i'm like well i'm not playing this game anymore because i kept getting destroyed i kept getting killed so yeah games are fun when you are kind of okay at them and people like scaffold them so that you get better and better and then when you get more experience you can make them harder and harder and you can make the stakes higher and higher as well too yeah i mean my my son has asked me to if he can change his character from a cleric to a druid. And I'm like, mm, yeah, of course. That's, we, we can find a way of doing that. That's easy. Well, they could, yeah. he could multi-class. Well, you know, he, he could you do the multi-class issue. You could but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that also works. I had a thing with my D&D club where the first um, temple that they were in, they were in this temple to find some treasure, and... Mm. At the end of it, there was treasure, but there were also, like, two magic fountains. And one magic fountain gave you, like, eight more hit points, and the other magic fountain let you change your class. So all those kids who started playing D&D with just one of the character sheets that I gave them, I told them, okay, this is what it's in mechanics terms. You can change your character class and your race. You can change all those things at this point. And there's no penalty. And if later on they wanted to change, I wouldn't have made a big deal anyway. But mm. I gave them a specific narrative opportunity to revise their character. Because, again, when it's your first campaign, you don't necessarily know what the different classes do. And you don't know what the abilities are. And you might want to switch midway through. And I feel like that's something. Just be flexible. You're the DM. You're the game master. Mm. Just find a, a fun narrative way to make it happen. Yeah, I, I actually, that's... I think a far more valid way of doing it than just saying, yeah, sure, that's that's not a problem. That, that's really cool. I'll have to do that. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll talk with him and just say, hey. Well, I mean, I've actually had that done with me in the game where I actually get to play. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to change my roguish archetype from Assassin sure. mm-hmm. to the new Unearth Arcana one that's now called the Phantom. Okay, and Ooh, so that sounds cool. The, the way we did it is my dungeon master and I had a chat, and he said, well, how about I kill him? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's cool. And so my character died uh, distracting a planetar angel okay. while my friends got away. And he's like, okay, you need to hold it up for two turns. And ended up doing it for four because rogues are just bad people. Sure. <laughs> Josh knows. Yeah, I play one consistently. All of my characters are rogues now. It's like, this is this is my path. Because they are Josh, I feel like I found a, I found like a 
a long lost brother. <laughs> yeah, there we go. American Josh and Australian Josh are building these bridges across the ocean with their love of rogues. Why we have this opinion. So what I'm interested in is say one, two, three, and we're both gonna say our reason at the same time, which will be very annoying for people listening. But we can explain it in a few sentences after. So one for wait, two, wait, I'm sorry, I missed the what was the, what was the question? I'll, I'm gonna say one, two, three, and we're both gonna say our favorite reason behind why we always play rogues. Oh yes, okay. Okay. One, two, three. It irritates sneak the attack. heck out of the DM. Okay, we're very different. Well, generally by sneak attack, because it's broken. So, so bloody broken. Yeah. For me, it's Sne- like, I mean, it's everything. It's like, oh, uncanny dodge. Oh, evasion. Oh, you know, a sneak attack. Or like the mastermind bro, which is like, my bonus action is you can help someone and give them advantage on their attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, every yeah. Every round, all the time. Beautiful. The and I just like the fact that you get mayhem. that you get in trouble. I, I just like the fact one. that you get into stuff like like you're sneaking around and like you're you're in the locks and you're you're. I mean, I I remember Matt and I uh, several years ago when Skyrim came out. Like we'd sit and we we'd chat as I was playing. I'm like, oh yeah, gosh, Matt. I'm just. I was just going to talk about this. <laughs> I'm just robbed. I'm just robbed. Like I have it. My entire house, you know, uh, just is filled with cheese and books that I've taken from everything. You know, steal all the things. I've never seen a person play Skyrim like Josh plays Skyrim. He steals everything. Everything, even the things that are worth less than a gold piece. He was like stealing candlesticks, cheeses, plates. There is actual treasure in that game. You could make so much money selling potions, but Josh is just stealing everything he possibly can. And that is why Josh loves the rogue, because he loves a narrative reason to steal everything. He belongs we in this playing, country. I mean, we, were we're playing, we were playing a game online, and Josh stole from me within the first hour of gameplay. He stole five <laughs> gold pieces from me. Well, okay, but that was in. First of all, it was later changed to copper pieces. Number one. Second of all, uh, your character, like I, I, I bought your character a kebab, and you grabbed like all, the entire selection. Oh, of them. I did. Was, I did take both kebabs. So mm-hmm. I was really seeking recompense uh, for for the kebab. You, well played. Proving, well played. You, you're proving the saying. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Ah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I got my comeuppance. I agree with that. Well played, Josh. <laughs> I, I I dig it. Yeah, for me, it's it's the fact that like words are skill monkeys, and it's like if you build mm-hmm. in the right abilities, like feats and whatnot, you can just have the most annoying character. Like, oh yeah, you, you can do so much. Feed. You take the alert feed, and it's like you can't be surprised. You've got an excellent bonus to your initiative on top of your decks, mm-hmm. and. Like, there's so many other abilities that are just designed to make the dungeon master stop and go, all right, I'll find, I'll find something else to hit you with. And that's kind of beautiful because it means you've got the escalation on the dungeon master side and the player character's like, oh, we got to keep up. This is great. It's, it's how the game's going to play. Yeah, oh, yeah. Here, here's my general DM tip if you want to be a jerk DM. 
make your own custom spells that target charisma because there are so many people <laughs> who like dump their stats into decks and wisdom and intelligence. And I'm like, oh yeah, this thing targets your charisma. Is it that weird? <laughs> that is very nice. There's, um, if you use any of Cobalt Press's stuff, they have spells that do that. Oh, very cool. That's my four-year-old in the background. Yes. Um, I think I, yeah, this has been a crazy time for everyone because usually I record these at work, but life has got in the way of everything. So It definitely has, and we're all just adapting to our weird situations. Um, I don't want to keep you all forever. I do want to ask her for one last question, which is the question I ask Please. absolutely everybody. Um, what do you two do to like take care of yourselves? Like, what's your self care routine? Josh, start it off. <laughs> oh, let's see here. Um, as far as far as with with D and D or just just life 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 in general, because I oh okay, there's some self care happening out there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> one child is still uh, carrying the other into the grave. Oh <laughs> Trust, hey, I have, I have, uh, I have two younger brothers. Trust me, I, I know how it goes. Uh yeah. See, there it is. Um, self care wise, I mean, I, I guess finding time, creative time. I, I do a lot of, uh, well, I've, I've been doing a lot more of it now, but uh, uh, miniature painting. I paint uh, Reaper and WizKid mini minifigures and things like that. Um, finding time to sit down with a good podcast and, uh, you know, just you know, painting painting those up uh, is something that I generally do. Uh, planning. Um, I'm getting a lot into the Roll20 um, and planning campaigns through that right now, but uh, also finding time to get through a lot of D and D material and sitting down and reading. Uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, video games. Sea of Thieves is my new, my new. Uh, I love that. Hop on a pirate ship and just do whatever. It's great. Sounds cool. I got um, Just Cause Four for free through Epic, and I love it. Oh yeah. I gotta check that one out. Oh, it's great. Like, it gives you, like, a grappling hook, a wingsuit, and a parachute right at the start, and you can just, like, Spider-Man around. That's the best. That's awesome. The only thing I noticed is, like, I don't know where the handbrake is for when you're driving a car, because what's the key you would usually handbrake with? Mm, like, uh, like a B? On a keyboard. I'm a, I'm a PC game. Oh, on a oh, um, I don't know that. Take it away, Josh. You don't. Uh, that that I'm I'm a I'm a council gamer myself. Okay, that's fair. Uh, it's it's usually the space bar, but the problem is just cause. Four, well, not problem. With just cause four, if you're driving a car fast and you push space bar, the car will explode and you will like emerge from it with your parachute. And it's like that's not what I intended to do, but that's I'm, I'm okay with this. Hold on, there is an explode <laughs> button. Explode the car option. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, That's amazing. Oh. Why did you do that? Just cause. Just cause four. Just cause. Oh. oh what about gosh. you, Matt? You got a you got a uh, self care routine there. Yeah, I mean, as a teacher, it can sometimes be hard to have a self care routine because when you <laughs> end up 
uh, juggling, grading work, making new lesson plans, making sure that your students, that things are okay for them. It could be definitely pretty overwhelming. So I think just taking time to pursue things that you enjoy, uh, you know, if it's video games, doing video games, uh, I've been exercising more, which is cool. Like even just yeah. taking walks and stuff, which is fantastic. I find that clears my mind and you know it doesn't have to be training for a marathon or anything like that and yeah and then just taking time to if I want to plan like a D&D game then I just take some time and I set an hour aside I'm like okay this is my D&D time or another thing I found works pretty well is put your phone into a different room your cell phone because getting away from the constant media sometimes is really refreshing for me as much as I love Twitter and Facebook. It's also nice to just be away from that stuff. And it just helps me to focus a little bit more on things in the present. No, I think that's, that is a good thing. And I think like that mindfulness to know it's like, Hey, I don't always need this. That's actually a very, very healthy thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Excellent. Cool. Well, um, everyone, thank you very, very much for joining me. Um, sorry, the audio on this is going to be a little bit interesting. Um, we'll see how. Would you Would you mind if we plugged our show a bit? Oh no, 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 no! Of course, that's why you're here. Sorry, I should have that straight on the open. Sorry. It's, oh no, that's it's okay. All good. Okay, so I should have asked actually. So, how can people find you two online? Oh, sounds good. If they wanted to uh, check out any uh, Detentions and Dragons episodes, they could find us on uh, iTunes as well as uh, if you type our name into uh, Google, we uh, happen to have, uh, sorry, Matt, what's it called? Well, you could search for our podcast on the internet and you'll find lots of different links to it. You could also find us on most places that are going to carry podcasts. So search for Spotify, uh, whatever Google calls their thing. We're on most of the major ones. So you should just be able to search mm -hmm. Detention of the Dragons and find us there. Excellent. Um, and yes, I, of course, and, and do you two have like separate social things that you operate or you just oh, want to be found yeah. out of that? Well, and if they want to, if they want to contact uh, us about the show, uh, we do happen to have a Twitter handle, uh, Detentions Pod. Uh, on Twitter, and then uh, mine is Professor Olaf on Twitter. Yep, Josh loves Twitter. He's on it all the time. You can see him post pictures of his cat, which is pretty cool. You can see him post bunches of D&D memes and other D&D resources. So shoot him a message on Twitter. He loves Twitter. He needs more friends on Twitter. Don't we all? <laughs> I, I, I'm on Twitter way too much, so um, I can relate. Um, excellent. So, um, and, and I, of course, am also Josh. Uh, I can also be found on Twitter, although my Twitter handle is nerdypeoplednd, uh, because I didn't use an ampersand. Um, I do this, Better Homes and Dungeons. Um, I do, uh, I've got two actual play podcasts that I'm recording and running at the moment. One is a homebrew version of Curse of Stride, except he's a railway baron, and it's like a cool western steampunk thing. That's very cool. Um, that's neat. Thank you. Um, yeah, someone mentioned it, and I thought, yeah, there's a game in it. That's, that's actually cooler than, like, Vanilla Curse of Strahd. And in mine, he's not a sex criminal. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. 
there's definitely some that tweaking is... you can do to make that whole setting a lot better. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think you don't have to try and make him cool and sexy to do it. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't make him cool and sexy. He's a bad person. Um, and, of course, we're doing an actual play of the Margrave, which is from Cobalt Press, which is an amazing campaign. I think most people should get into it. Fantastic. Very neat. Very cool. Um, people, thank you very much. And, and you two lads, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for putting up with my life and its interesting ups and downs. Well, thank you for inviting us. And thank you for having us on. To talk about playing D&D with students and kids. And hopefully some of the tips that we talked about today will help inspire you to take the, take the leap and enjoy your own games at home. Everyone, bye.